0: The dreadful pestilence penetrated the seacoast by Southampton and came to Bristol, and there almost the whole population of the town perished, as if it had been seized by sudden death, for few kept their beds more than two or three days, or even half a day. Then this cruel death spread everywhere around, following the course of the sun, and there died at Leicester in the small parish of St Leonard more than 380 persons. In the parish of holy cross 400 in the parish of saint margaret's leicester 700 and so in every parish a great multitude then the bishop of london sent word throughout his whole diocese giving general power to each and every priest regular as well as secular to hear confessions and to give absolution to all persons with full episcopal authority except only in the case of debt in this case The debtor was to pay the debt, if he was able, while he lived, or others were to fulfil his obligations from his property after his death. Likewise, the Pope granted full remission of all sins to anyone receiving absolution when in danger of death, and granted that this power should last until Easter next following, and that everyone might choose whatever confessor he pleased. The Black Death, 1348 Henry Knighton
1: Mankind has defeated all comers in the struggles we've had within the animal kingdom. No saber-toothed tiger, crocodile or shark shiver has been able to stall the ascent of man, except perhaps our microscopic competitors, pathogens in the form of bacteria, virus or, God forbid, fungus. Throughout our history, these minuscule machines of death have destroyed Huge numbers of people across the planet. And we humans have seemed to positively encourage their many successes with our move to urbanisation, our migrations, our wars. Pestilence and plague seem to follow our every geopolitical convulsion. These crafty pathogens find any convenient vector to invade our fragile bodies. They are in the water we drink, the food we eat, the air we breathe. Welcome to another episode of Bloody Violent History. Today we're going to take a look at contagion, the communication of disease, and how this has affected our history. But before we start, please pass on the details of this podcast to a friend. You can also feedback to me at talk@bloodyviolenthistory.com. So, from the distant past to the present day, plagues have been soaring at the trunk of human progress – And today, we're taking a tour through their greatest hits, Pity the Poor Pangolin. My name is Tom Ashton, and his name is James Jackson. Jamie, before we travel back to antiquity, let's have a look at the why. Why disease so often follows in the steps of our latest brilliant idea, our latest move, our fanatical drive to see over the next hill. Why are humans so vulnerable to contagion? (laughs)
2: Can I just say, Tom, that's another jolly, upbeat introduction. (laughs) I'm I'm glad. I mean, it is quite a tricky subject. It is a a tricky subject. And it's it's a subject that, as you said in the introduction so well, it relies so often, depends so often on such things as war and upheaval, migration and urbanisation. These are the things that have marked what we call human progress through the centuries. And if you just take... The 19th century, for example, you see typhus being taken to New York by uh, Irish migrants. They caught it on the ships from Nice. Then you move on to the Austro-Prussian War of 1866, a seven-week war. That managed to spread, uh, a cholera epidemic, along with huge numbers of venereal disease cases that that it was essentially gonorrhea and syphilis so that started another sort of european pandemic then you get to the boer war 1899 onwards and the concentration camps the internment camps in which boer civilians were placed by the british and up to 30,000 died mostly children from such things as typhoid and dysentery. So all the way through history, things such as upheaval and migration and urbanisation, the close proximity of human beings, the lack of sanitation, the lack of clean water, these are the things that have driven the spread of disease and parasites.
1: Yes, and and whenever there's an incident of of people being in, in poor shape, uh, disease gets in so much easier doesn't it at the end of wars or when they're not being fed well on ships or anything of oh that
2: ma- malnutrition is the key to so much of it i mean if there is generalized poor health then disease slips in and that's why whether it's trenches or fighting in the jungle or or besieged cities these are the problems and we're going to go through some of them in this introduction the sort of conflicts and the upheavals that have created the conditions for contagion
1: Okay, well, let's have a look at some of those uh, examples of war and contagion, Uh, going right back into the mists of time. The siege of Athens in four thirty BC.
2: Yes, and that killed between a third and a half the population of a hundred thousand, because as people. moved into Athens for protection against the Spartans. This was the Peloponnesian Wars. And as as people moved in, the the Athenians had always prided themselves on strong walls, but those strong walls were no protection against the lack of sanitation, against such things as typhoid, cholera, typhus, and smallpox. It's believed there was a smallpox outbreak and tens of thousands died from that. And you can see that spread, those sort of uh, diseases moving from, from, from the, the countryside into the urban areas in the same way that you can see the spread of cholera from the Ganges in India in the early 19th century through British soldiers and out to the rest of Europe. So these, these outbreaks spread widely and today we we talk about the the spread of pathogens through air travel and that sort of thing but then it was ship but it was still capable of carrying these diseases far and wide
1: and the extraordinary thing or maybe it's not extraordinary maybe it's maybe it's obvious but we often talk about casualties in war or in particular battles 10,000 casualties which normally means you know a third dead two thirds wounded but quite often that those casualties pale into insignificance to the actual death from the disease that either follows or was going on at the same time C- by com- a factor of ten or, or even a C- hundred.
2: C- completely. You, you, you move on through history and you take the Spanish Armada and Elizabeth I, Queen Elizabeth, was delighted that she didn't have to pay her sailors money because they were all dying from typhus because it was only about a hundred or, or, or fewer died during the actual armada itself, but thousands died from typhus uh, because of the cramped conditions, the squalid conditions on the ships. And this always happened during exploration, during the Elizabethan period of exploration, the, 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 the typhus scourge that killed thousands of sailors. And that's what caused people like John Hawkins and uh, Sir Francis Drake and others to set up the, the, the world's first uh, maritime charity. It was because of the sickness and disease among the sailors.
1: And, of course, people going to a different part of the world, they were either bringing something with them, or when they got there, there was something that they had no immunity to, which would attack them, such as yellow fever.
2: Yes, And, and, and in return, you see the conquistadors taking smallpox and other diseases to South America. You see the venereal diseases taken by... James Cook's men to Hawaii, for example. This spread of disease w- was, was, was constant, and, and quite often it was sort of brought back to Europe. There, there was a cholera outbreak that the um, Spaniards brought back to Europe in the 19th century, for example, uh, soldiers returning from the Americas. So there, there was this sort of constant flow, and it, it was very difficult to cut it out,
1: A war that's famous for the disease uh, impact on soldiers, of course, is the the Crimean War of the mid-1850s. And we had our own uh, Florence Nightingale and the beginnings of an understanding of hygiene and so on. But uh, even though we have famous events like the Charge of the Light Brigade, which we've discussed, where a few hundred soldiers died, um, it was nothing in comparison to the death from
2: Disease. If you look at British on, ca- on all sides, isn't it? Uh, on all sides. Yeah. I mean, if you look at British casualties, uh, some say it was sort of twenty-two to twenty-five thousand. But of those, up to eighty thousand died from dysentery and cholera and other diseases that that, that were prevalent at the time. I've seen letters of people who were on hospital ships, and and the number of people dying from dysentery on a daily basis was absolutely staggering. But uh,
1: they they would probably just throw them overboard, would they? Oh, I mean, in that the ship would or, or, arrive back in England with half empty. I
2: say. Well, well, I mean, most of them died in hospitals out, out in Crimea yeah. and were were, were buried or, or burnt. And and you look at French casualties. The French sent an army of over 300,000. 100,000 of those died. And of those 100,000, probably about 80,000 died from disease. So, so the numbers who were killed or, or wounded... It was tiny in comparison to, to the number of people killed by disease.
1: Moving on a couple of uh, decades, we've got the Franco-Prussian War. This was uh, Bismarck's. He brought all the German states together and the French thought they were, they were up for a fight with him and they got thoroughly tranced. But again,
2: vast quantities of people died from disease. Yeah, that was smallpox that time. I mean, it just helped spread smallpox. Half a million people are believed to have died from smallpox at that time and I mean, we we're, we're still terrified of smallpox of people digging up graves with smallpox victims in I, I know Yeah, that was half a million altogether, wasn't it? I mean, there was about 40,000. 40,000 in, in, mm. in Britain, mm. yeah. yeah. A friend of mine was developing a block of flats or, or offices in the city and they, they found that it was on top of a graveyard. And, and many of those corpses, centuries old, still had flesh on them and they couldn't understand why and discovered. It was because these patients at the time when they were alive probably were syphilis victims and being given arsenic as a, as a cure or to try and hold off the the worst effects. And arsenic, being a metalloid, managed to preserve the skin, which is pretty unpleasant. But this is how... People so responded. those
1: flats they're now luxury apartments. <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> Should we give out the postcode? <laughs> but, but, but you still uh, like the guy, do you? <laughs>
2: you have to, to admire the entrepreneurial skill, developers. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. One of the things is that the, the the cure was often deadlier than the disease itself. And you, I, I, my ancestor, my great great uncle, who was Thomas Bond, who was a surgeon in the Austro Prussian War. In 1866, he, he drank copious quantities of castor oil to try and a act as a laxative and b try and kill any parasites or bacteria inside him.
1: Well, so, it does work as a laxative, doesn't it? We talked about that in the um, uh, the First World War pilots uh, that they yeah, that, used castor that. oil in the engines
2: and had terrible. indeed and so so people improvise in these situations but improvisation doesn't always work and in the end it's it's almost sort of witchcraft They're, they're, they're reaching for anything in these sort of situations
1: well before we move on I'll just have to plug episode 19 which is if you want to know more about Dr Thomas Bond it's one of our bloody
2: objects and Jack the Ripper he was pretty deadly too but then we get to 1918, of course, to the end of the Great War and the arrival of Spanish flu, which some say started in Kansas and is sort of avian-based. But that caused an enormous pandemic around the world. I mean, a terrible flu epidemic uh, as a result. And as you said, all those things come together, war population movement, starvation, malnutrition, poor health. And you get this explosion in this, this flu that killed, some believe, between 20 and 30 million a, across the globe. Nowadays,
1: of course, one of the things up until, uh, anyway, the COVID pandemic, and it seems to be coming back pretty quickly, is that everybody travels everywhere. And international travel is, is now a matter of hours rather than days, weeks and months.
2: And, and people expect to cure. This is one of the things that you, you see through history, is that back in the day, if you like, people expected to die. I mean, mortality from, from these diseases was extremely high. Nowadays, people don't expect to die. So when fatality rates go up, that's when people get neurotic hysterical and you start getting this this terrible urge there must be a cure there must be action people the governments must do something and sometimes it is impossible to do something unfortunately we live in a world where where news travels people travel and news travels and and that doesn't make for calm easy rational thought because everyone has a theory. Everyone has conspiracies. Everyone believes something must be done, whether it's lockdown or whatever. And of course, not
1: only have humans suffered from an endless succession of pathogens, of diseases, but we've actually taken it into our own hands to make the situation worse with biological warfare.
2: Yes, thanks, Russia. <laughs> Yet wait. again. Yet again, it's both the Soviet Union and Russia who's. I think we've all been at it to some extent, haven't we? Yes, but, but we tend to investigate these things in order to find a cure. The Russians have absolutely weaponized disease and have done so for many years. You look at 1971 and the Aral Sea incident and the outbreak of smallpox, that is believed to have escaped from a biological weapons development. Uh, Institute. You move on to 1979 and you had an outbreak of anthrax. Uh, and the Russians, the Soviet Union, that was near Ekaterinburg, and the Soviet Union tried to say this was because cattle with anthrax had been discovered. But actually, it was anthrax that entered through the lungs, so it couldn't possibly have been bovine. Um, forms of anthrax, which is in the system itself, in the body.
1: I mean, that, that really is a, a way to defeat yourself at the same time, isn't it? Because there's no way of controlling it. We've seen that with Covid. It's just it rockets around the world. But
2: particularly as, as the Soviets were developing, it's known they were developing, and this is known from defectors and everything else, that, that the Soviets were developing forms of flu, forms of disease... That were totally incurable. That could not have been cured by antibiotics. You know, they they were they were splicing genes. They were <laughs> creating things that were so advanced, so complex, that that it would have gone round the world and killed people before anyone could stumble upon an answer to it, and it would have blown back across into Russia. So, but but yet, Russia still believed that this was a route worth taking and of course with one hand they're developing biological ones with the other they're blaming everyone else. I mean, you simply look at the invasion of Ukraine and their uh, fake propaganda that the Americans had biological warfare labs on the border just inside the Ukrainian border. You think, why would anyone put them there if they were developing biological weapons? It doesn't matter how clumsy the lies are, they keep on coming. This is what the sort of Russian troll industry does. (laughs) Yeah, well,
1: it's, it's a classic bully tactic, isn't it? when they're doing something to you they say that you're doing it to them
2: exactly but but it's worth just dropping in biological warfare here because you know it has certainly and we're going to talk about it in the postscript as well it's been around a long time and this is one of the things that does help um, promote these these pathogens and one of the ones we're going to mention is is when the Mongol horde start throwing plague-infected bodies over the, 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 the besieged walls of Genoese merchants so who then flee and take the Black Death into Europe. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not just warfare. It's not contained to the battlefield. These things can spread uh, very rapidly and cause serious problems. <laughs>
1: When we talk about plague, we're really talking about the bubonic plague, the Black Death, which many people think happened in the Middle Ages, but it actually happened in the, the late Roman period as well. Jamie, so tell us about Yersinia
2: pestis. Bubonic plague, it, it, it has been a plague, but it goes back a long way. If you look at the Justinian plague of 6th century AD, 541. This was a terrible plague. I mean, it killed 100,000 people in Constantinople uh, alone. 10,000 people were dying uh, every day. And, and it spread. And it's believed to have killed over 20 million people in Europe uh, back then. So people saw this as a blight. Many people saw it as an act of God. Entire villages, entire towns were completely erased by it. It, it definitely changed the population, and it travelled. It, it's believed that it had come from the east, from China, had spread into places like Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan and all those Central Asian areas. Uh, some people say it came from the, the Nile Delta and moved up from there, you know, carried by rats in grain holes and, and, and taken to Constantinople. But however, it arrived in Constantinople. It, it spread very quickly, and it took hold, and it decimated Europe. And Justinian's plan to create this West and East Roman Empire started to become unstuck. You know, you started to get the the hold of the the central authorities declining. And it's always worth looking at the great societal changes created by these pandemics created by these contagions sometimes it can be absolutely massive and so so you saw the, really the emergence of, of Italian city-states, for example, and you project that forward and you can see where the Renaissance came from. You know, you can see that actually not having a centralised authority, having competition between the states that, that went on into the Middle Ages and beyond, w- w- was actually quite progressive. It actually pushed things forward.
1: Because, what, Justinian was based in the east, in Constantinople, and just couldn't control an Eastern and Western empire, and so the West got away from him.
2: Well, he did very well in 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 creating his empire and consolidating but But because of the Black Death, because of its spread, you started getting erosion and and you look at Justinian 's successes, and they were far less successful than he in in maintaining that control, maintaining the authority. Of the Roman Empire and you know constant attacks rival empires um, rival fiefdoms and city-states and and much of that started really with the progress of the Black Death
1: yeah and of course uh, with disease quite often not always but that you you get no distinction between the aristocracy and the peasantry being killed off in large
2: numbers it's worth remembering that Justinian caught it himself but he actually survived. Which is a total miracle. He was obviously pretty tough. One of the problems was it it, it rendered slaves masterless, so poverty spread. Uh, you got wealthy families who ended up with no money at all. It it completely erased many levels of society. It it changed things fundamentally, and and it ensured that creating armies to either conquer other lands or maintain authority and control over those lands was was very tricky so the
1: plague came and went um, and at sometimes it was obviously a great deal worse than at other moments and for us the black death in Europe really it started in 1331 in southwest China supposedly reached Constantinople
2: by 1345 and reached England by 1348. And again, we mentioned at the beginning the Siege of Caffa of 1344, the idea of the the Mongols carrying it, this plague with them and throwing plague-infested bodies over the ramparts and causing the Genoese to flee. Many historians say that that was one of the causes, the root causes of the disease spreading. But whatever happened, this was a disease that consumed 50 million, some say, across Europe killed up to half the population of Europe. Divine punishment. Divine punishment but it had unforeseen consequences because you look at England and and this was the time of chivalry of King Edward III of Chaucer. So, so we never sort of think of, 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 of the dark side, what was going on at the same time. But you look at the plague and you think that fundamentally altered England. And yes, it did, because what had happened in the 1320s were terrible uh, famines in England. There, there, there were too many people, population of about 5 million, and not enough land to feed people. So this plague comes along, kills about two million, some say, and suddenly you get got far more land available and you look at the diet of your average serf at the time. And yeah, it goes,
1: it goes up from a couple of ounces of cheese and a few pounds of bread to, to two pounds of bread, a pound of meat and six pints of ale. I like that. Yes,
2: it's worth living for.
0: The Black Death 1348. Henry Knighton. Meanwhile, the king sent proclamation into all the counties that reapers and other labourers should not take more than they had been accustomed to take, under the penalty appointed by statute. But the labourers were so lifted up and obstinate that they would not listen to the king's command. But if anyone wished to have them, he had to give them what they wanted and either lose his fruit and crops or satisfy the lofty and covetous wishes of the workmen. And when it was known to the king that they had not observed his command and had given greater wages to the labourers, he levied heavy fines upon abbots, priors, knights, greater and lesser, and some other great folk and small folk of the realm, of some hundreds, of some forties, of some twenties, from each according to what he could give and afterward the king had many labourers arrested and sent them to prison. Many withdrew themselves and went into the forests and woods, and those who were taken were heavily fined. Their ringleaders were made to swear that they would not take daily wages beyond the ancient custom, and then they were freed from prison. And in like manner was done with the other craftsmen in the boroughs and villages. After the aforesaid pestilence, Many buildings, great and small, fell into ruins in every city, borough, and village, for lack of inhabitants. Likewise, many villages and hamlets became desolate, not a house being left in them, all having died who dwelt there. And it was probable that many such villages would never be inhabited.
2: The other aspect of it, of course, was the rise of the middle class as a result. You started getting wealth creation. It wasn't just the nobles in charge. You started getting a merchant class because there was more trade. There was an attempt to, to, to find food and markets overseas to, to create things. Well,
1: quite often also, the aristocracy sort of would abandon their posts, wouldn't they, and flee to the country. But the, the middle classes, the merchants in London, they had to just tough it out and well, you know there's a distinction between them
2: well and you see this in in the plague coming back you know, in, in the early 17th century and mid 17th century you know the, the 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 poor benighted merchants stay where they are and uh, have to have to suffer the consequences but another key consequence uh, throughout europe is that if there is a plague if there's something that is so appalling just just Uh, so dramatic and cataclysmic, people start looking for scapegoats, people start looking for divine intervention and something to blame, whether it's Satan or, in this case, the Jews. And we've talked about pogroms against the Jews before, but the Black Death in the mid-14th century certainly created a huge upsurge in the killing of Jews, the mass killing of Jews, the massacres around Europe. Yeah, because uh,
1: Justinian, just as a, a, a footnote, in his time, they were, they were more concerned about the sort of misalignment of planets apparently as a reason why you know i mean they were searching for any reason
2: they they are but i but i think if you're you're sort of seeing this happen to communities around you you know you start looking for those who's the outsider who's who's the outsider Mm -hmm. and who has done rather well or you think is profiting and you look at previous uh, pogroms against the jews in england and you saw that that theory that went around, that rumour that went around of Jews breaking in to churches and stabbing the sacraments, stabbing Jesus again. And that's why there was this red fungus on the sacrament. Yeah. So it was very and easy. And the libel of the well poisonings as well. Yeah. And, I mean. and, and this certainly took off after the the arrival of the Black Death in 1341. So you get these, these massive pogroms going on in places like Zurich, Baal and elsewhere.
1: Yeah, the, the Jewish pogroms um, are absolutely convoluted, aren't they, in the, way, in, in the effect that they have in the relationships between the nobles, the, the Jews themselves, and the tradesmen and craftsmen.
2: Completely, and if you have someone like the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, Charles IV, claiming that Jews are simply the chattels and possessions of the nobility and the Holy Roman Empire... called ca-
1: them the serfs of the exchequer.
2: Uh, he ended up cancelling all christian debt owed to jewish moneylenders so this is the sort of thing that happened and and the middle classes they saw that the jews had lent the nobles money so they saw that the jews had cozied up or they saw they thought they saw the Jews cozying up to the nobility to stay on top while, whilst they were being oppressed. So, so you, you started getting this, this really unpleasant undercurrent sort of coming on. And you know, so it was. I mean, Clement VI, the Pope at the time, tried to protect them, but it was no good. So, so you get things such as the Valentine's Day Massacre, 14th of February, 1349, where several hundred Jews were burnt at the stake in strasbourg and, and and this was repeated all round german all round the german provinces of frankfurt onwards so it became a really unpleasant situation and, and, and that ran for years after that that the black death faded out so all these societal changes all these undercurrents the sort of vicious undercurrents they all came to the fore because of this contagion
1: Just before the English Civil War in 1603, we've got the outbreak of plague in the reign of James I.
2: Yes, the plague kept on returning at at different points through history. It it never had quite the impact that that it did in in the 14th century. But all the same, people such as James I, King James, was terrified of the plague. He was terrified of two things, assassination and the plague. And it's one of the reasons... I think he sounds a bit like Putin. Indeed, uh, and he was a small little man. But James spent a lot of his time on his horse in the country and away from London, and London sort of rather closed down. You see the closing of The Globe and other theatres, and and the attendance of of theatres was banned. It was a pretty grim time, and it kept on returning. But But also,
1: James was a pamphleteer, wasn't he? He liked to write things you know about how smoking
2: was terrible or, oh, smoking or, and witchcraft or, or, or <laughs> w- women in lancashire were all witches and and, and things like that is oh, yes, smoking and witchcraft it, it, but actually he was ahead of his time on smoking because he talked about it blackening the lungs uh, centuries before the tobacco companies actually admitted that, <laughs> that yeah. there might be health consequences to smoking.
1: I know, but all those marvellous movies from Hollywood in the 40s would, would never be quite the same well, without the cigarettes.
2: Exactly, but 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 it was a, a problematic time. Well, and he uh, issued
1: a book of orders. I mean, he, he actually issued sort of advice, uh, uh, you know, about what to do, including... Um, You know, if you could afford it, eating a warm mixture of onions, butter and garlic, and then you were just converted into a Frenchman on the (laughs) spot. (laughs) You could ward Uh, off any disease. (laughs) Or, Or if you didn't have enough money, you could just lay a loaf of bread on the saw.
2: Well, that's what I do. <laughs> Just get
1: a baguette, warm <laughs> it up, and, God, and insert God, it. That, that really,
2: that really is homeopathy at its most basic, isn't it? <laughs> it oh, takes your mind Look, off the this disease. It's a very important subject, but, but it is. Once more the plague returned in the mid 17th century so 1665 you have the Black Death landing on on England and if you just look at London alone a a population of uh, getting on for half a million people and of that it's claimed that 100,000 probably died from the plague
1: yeah they really didn't uh, have a an idea a way to work out the numbers because they just had mass graves and people would just be exactly
2: in. all these things including the, the the sort of guesswork over what happened and the black death in previous centuries it, it, it's a sort of rule of thumb figures can vary by by tens of millions in terms of the estimates but but it certainly had again a huge societal impact who do you think the,
1: the, the scapegoats were
2: I don't know who the scapegoats were. I can were, tell you, Tom. dogs Tom. and cats. Yeah, dogs call and cats. Yeah, they well, dogs and cats. That is true. In the same way that with, with other infections later on, other diseases, it was always blamed on the miasma, that, that if there was a big stink in a city, it was carried on the air. Everyone thought it was carried on the air. And, and certainly later on, even in the Victorian era... People thought that cholera for example and typhoid rather than being waterborne they thought it was carried in in particles in the air and in, in the bad odour.
1: But the, the history that we, we, we learn maybe it's children anyway of 1665 the plague and, and then 1666 the great uh, fire of London. There were many plagues over many decades and centuries in London but the the reason this one is the most famous is because it had one of those society-changing moments in the rebuilding of London. I think that's why it sticks.
2: Uh, and also that so many people thought that with the plague, followed by the great fire of 1666, that it was the beginning of the end of days. People really thought these apocalyptic acts, that the riders of the apocalypse were riding in, and then, of course, you got the Dutch fleet attacking the the Navy on the Medway. And so, again, you had enemy forces coming in as well. Yeah. So you can see why everyone was totally paranoid. But but, but th- as
1: as things played out, that was the initial reaction. But as, the, you know, they had to rebuild the city and then they brought in ordinance about not building houses of wood and also not chucking um, quite so much shit into the streets. And it, it is that... Then gradually they began to. The city was improved to some extent. Yes,
2: and and, and national self belief started to rise because it, once you survive these terrible trials and tribulations, once you see some Pauls being yep, built, for and example,
1: fifty other churches
2: and these other great churches going up you start believing this is a new dawn this is a new era the royal society the royal observatory Uh, exactly and the the sort of rise of science so so throughout the centuries plague has brought these fundamental shifts It, it can be in the long term for the good it is because, the, because
1: you have to deal with it you have to deal you have, know, you to, deal, you have it. to
2: do and, and in a way you create opportunity for people people are, are in need skills are required people want to find an answer people want to find antidotes so you get royal patronage for mm. science and medicine and that sort of thing so and so, each
1: time there's a sort of well certainly in this period there's a sort of another step forward for the middle class
2: and you can start seeing the sort of early modern era come in. It's definitely that sort of great move, you know, from the medieval times through the Middle Ages into the Elizabethan, and then suddenly this leap forward, and and we start recognizing the sort of consciousness of people like Samuel Pepys, for example. We we sort of understand these people. You know, you you have the arrival of of new sorts of plays and comedies and theatre. And poetry and, and and you definitely felt that society had moved on uh, and the way he writes
1: Pepys is, is very sympathetic it, it, you know, it 's very empathetic it 's not just a, a record of oh there 's a plague and you know, this is affecting my job and, and the royal family he 's much more you know, he 's deeply saddened by the sights that that he sees in the city
2: uh, and the world had moved on from feudal times and, and we talked about urbanization. I mean, urbanization, on one hand, it, it is a sort of crucible for the development of disease, but on the other hand, it's also a crucible for learning, progress, communication, and, and onward movement and progress. So, so there are these sort of different tracks that, that disease creates.
1: Okay, I think we'll pause here. Just when you thought you'd put pandemic worries behind you, we hit you with this episode. However, we hope it may put our recent COVID experience into some perspective. In the next episode, we'll round it off with our delightful discussion from dysentery to biological warfare. So it goes. His name is James Jackson. My name is Tom Ashton. And this is Bloody Violent History. Please promote this podcast and you can contact me on talk at bloodyviolenthistory.com. Thank you and good luck.